I'm excited about this morning's topic, friends, and I know that we have a special, a special, special message in store today. Now, I want to just remind you once again, for those who may not have been here last night, that you're going to discover through this series that prophecy is not scary. <laughs> Amen? It's mysterious, but it actually makes some really good sense once you have the tools you need to read it. And so today we're going to take a look at a very broad and general prophecy, and on other meetings in the future we're going to look at more specific prophecies. But each meeting is going to build on the previous meeting, and just like we talked about last night, it's like building a house, right? You have the foundation, then you put up the studs, then the walls, then the windows, and in the end we're going to look and we're going to see a beautiful house, the picture from God's Word. But it builds on each other, so you want to come every meeting. And I promise you, we're going to make it worth your time. So we're going to give you the tools that you need to understand Bible prophecy. And I said this last night, and I'll say it again. Some people look at the book of Revelation and Daniel, and they say, oh, I don't know if you've heard this. They say, it's so confusing. What are all these symbols? What are these beasts and these, where's one of the beasts? Okay, there we go. <laughs> what do these beasts represent? What are these different things? And it's so confusing. Do you guys know that if you'll stick with me, I promise you, as we understand the Bible, as we look at how the Bible tells us to interpret itself, it's going to become crystal clear. You will be able to understand the prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation. How many of you would like to understand the prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation? All right, that's most of you. So as you come, you're going to be amazed at what you see. And once again, what is our textbook, everyone? What is it? The Bible, right? The Bible and the Bible alone. God says he has good news for us, and I want you to understand that as we go through these prophecies, even as we go talk today about some difficult things, ultimately God has good plans for us. God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite promises from the Bible, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. God wants to do good for you. He wants good things for you. He wants you to be at peace. And so even today as we talk about the signs of the end times, it's going to be some difficult things today, but I want you to remember the end goal is that God wants you to be at peace. He wants to save you for his eternal kingdom, that kingdom we talked about last night that's going to replace the statue and, take, and, to, and one day when we will be with him forever in his kingdom. Amen? Now we're going to move quickly, and once again, I'll just mention this. If you have questions, we want you to text in your questions, all right? So they gave you the number, the text number, I believe. I'm not sure if they put it up on the screen. We'll do it at the end. But we want you to text in your questions because we're going to do Q&A starting tonight. Is that exciting? All right. So I want to encourage you to text in your questions. All right. Today's topic, Revelation's Greatest End Time Signs. Everywhere I go... I don't know about you, but I hear people saying that our world is not what it used to be. During the pandemic, people have said everything has changed. Not only in our lives, the way we live, but in everything. The climate is changing. The crime rate is increasing. Political tension is on the rise. More natural disasters. But is it really true? 
Is the world on the verge of some really big changes? Is the second coming of Christ, that rock cut without hands that we saw in the prophecy last night from Daniel 2, is it something we can expect in our lifetime? Well, today I'm going to show you an amazing passage from the Bible written almost 2,000 years ago, and you're going to be the judge, okay? Our subject, Revelation's greatest end time signs. And because our subject includes the Bible, whenever we open God's Word, what do we need to do, friends? We need to pray. So please join with me as we bow our heads and ask God's presence to be here today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to study your word. Lord, as we look at the prophecies that talk about the end times today, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to the reality of where we are living in the flow of history. And help us, Lord, to be ready for that day when you come. Bless us now as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Revelation's greatest end time signs. All right, there is a story in the Bible where Jesus is walking with his disciples and they walk by the temple in Jerusalem. You may remember this story. The temple was a magnificent building. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was said that as you looked at the temple, the, the white marble and the gold trim glistened in the sunlight. They called it Herod's temple or the second temple, and this temple was beautiful. And as the disciples walked by that temple, their hearts began to swell with pride. It's almost like if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., and you walk by the Capitol, you feel a little bit of pride in your heart, right? Yes? You know what I'm talking about? Well, imagine the disciples, they're walking by that temple, and they see this beautiful building, and it, to them, it seems like it will always be there. Nothing could ever destroy this temple. Look at this building, Jesus. This is proof that God is with us. And Jesus stops, and he looks. And then he says something that really bothers them. And what he says sets the stage for understanding the course of world history. Look at this verse from Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wow, the disciples, can you imagine this beautiful building that they see as a sign of God's favor towards the Jewish nation? And Jesus says that, Eventually, it's going to be totally destroyed. Not one stone is going to be left on another. Well, do you know that Jesus was absolutely right? Only 40 years later, in AD 70, a group of zealots tried to forcefully get rid of the Romans. They staged a violent uprising, and the Romans responded with force. A Roman general by the name of Titus moved into the city, and he began to defeat the Jewish zealots. And the zealots... In the confusion of the battle, they ran into the temple to hide. And at one point, there were hundreds of these zealots in that temple. And at that moment, from what we can tell from history, a Roman soldier lit a torch and threw it into the temple. And in a matter of minutes, the temple was engulfed in flames. Hundreds of year old cedar, you can imagine how dry that wood was, went up 
in flames in an instant, and before you know it, the temple was a raging inferno. Titus, General Titus, actually tried to save the temple. He thought it was pointless to destroy such a beautiful building, but it was far too late. There was no putting it out. The gold, it was so hot, the gold melted and ran into the cracks between the stones. And after the fire went out, Roman soldiers literally went in and dismantled the rocks so they could get the gold out. Not one stone was left upon another. And if you go today to Jerusalem, I've been there, you can actually see stones from that temple still thrown down in front of the base of the Temple Mount today in Jerusalem. And if you go to the city of Rome, you will see the Arch of Titus. This is a commemorative arch in the Roman Forum. And there on that arch, you'll see Roman soldiers carrying away the seven-branched candlestick from the temple in Jerusalem. That's exactly the way that Jesus predicted. You can see that in Rome. Not one stone will be left upon another. And of course, this really bothered the disciples. How in the world can this be? The temple falls. That must mean the end of the world, Jesus. That's impossible. So they come to Jesus with a question. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. The disciples came to him privately saying, all right, here we go. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Lord, if the temple falls, that must mean that the end has come. It must mean that you're about to set up your kingdom. So we want to know when that's going to happen. Please, Lord, give us a sign. Now listen carefully to what Jesus says next. Because it not only bothered the disciples, it has bothered the world for almost 2,000 years. Jesus answered and said to them, this is verse 4 of Matthew 24, Take heed that no one, what? Deceives you. Now that's a very important word. It's a key concept in Bible prophecy, and you're going to see it come up again and again. God says that before Jesus comes... There's going to be a lot of confusion in the world, and you and I are going to have to be careful. You don't want to take people's word for things. You want to be sure that you know what God says. Let no one deceive you. Why? Look at what Jesus says in verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Lord, when are you going to return? How do we know? What are the signs? You're going to know when it's close, Jesus says. Watch for these things. When you see false Christs, and an increase in war, and famine, and pestilence, and earthquakes. Watch out! It's almost time. Well, the skeptic looks at this, and the skeptic says, Nonsense! Nonsense! That's not true. We've always had these things. We've always had religious people gone bad. We've always had wars. We've always had earthquakes. Yes, COVID-19 is bad, but we've always, we've had plagues before. That's what the skeptic says. It's tempting to think the skeptics are right, isn't it? Yes or no? This can be tempting. 
except for the fact that they haven't read the next verse. If you're going to study Bible prophecy, you always have to read the whole thing. Amen? The skeptics forget about verse 8. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus says, all these are the what? Beginning of sorrows. Now that's a very important word, beginning of sorrows. I don't believe Jesus used it by accident. All right, now I'm about to venture into a subject in which it is dangerous for me to venture. How many of you have had a baby? Raise your hand. No men should be raising their hands. Amen. All right. Now, how many of you are married and you've been married to someone who has had a baby? So you know what it's like. All right, guys, you've been through the, the stuff, okay? Now, I am not married. I have not been through that experience. But let me ask you a question. That's why I said it's dangerous for me to get into this topic. Does a baby arrive with no warning? No, okay, right? One minute you're minding your own business and the next minute, pop, out comes the baby. Is that reality? Okay, I hear some lady here saying absolutely not. She's very, very sure about that. <laughs> now, I, <laughs> I will just tell you this. I have not been, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have much experience with this, but I will tell you what my mom has told me. When she was pregnant with me, um, she was doing all she could to, like, you know, what do you guys do? What do you ladies, you know, you do the exercises and the stuff or whatever you do, okay? But when she, when, she, when she started to get the contractions when she was pregnant with me right before I was born, she said it happened so fast that my dad was driving, you know, she told my dad and they got in the car and he was racing, we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, racing to the hospital and she literally almost had me in the car. She said it was very close. They rushed her in and, and they, they found out how, you know, found out how much she was about ready to give birth, and they rushed her in, and immediately I was born. So I was almost born in the car. But man, when those birth pangs come, they are signs that a baby is about to be born. Now, I'm told that a mother feels a few contractions at first, not too close, not too strong, but then they get bigger and more frequent until it's obvious that you're out of time. Is that true, ladies? Yes. All right, yes, she's very sure about that. <laughs> Do you know what word Jesus used to describe the signs of his coming? The word for sorrows, in the literal language, the Greek, it means odin. It literally means contractions, labor pains. In other words, Jesus used this word specifically to use it as an illustration to say these are literally birth pangs, they're labor pangs. Jesus knows we've always had wars. He knows that we've always had famine and pestilence throughout human history and earthquakes. But he's telling us that they are contractions. At first they might be few and far between, but as we get closer to the second coming, they're going to get faster and stronger. So let me ask you a question. If Jesus warned us to look for contractions, how big are the contractions right now in 2021? How close are we getting? Now I want to be careful. I want to I don't tell you we're not we're not going to set a date for the coming of Christ. Amen. We're not going to try and pick a date because the Bible is clear. We are not allowed to do that. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 36, no man knows the day or the hour. All right. Now some people say, okay, we might not know the day or the hour, but we can know the year. No. <laughs> That's missing the point. 
Nice try. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, Jesus tells his disciples that we can't know the times or seasons either. We're not allowed to know exactly when Jesus will come. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why not? Why can't we know exactly when Jesus will come? Why doesn't God just tell us when it's going to be? Well, you know how people are, right? I mean, think back for a minute to high school. How many of you are good students? Okay, how many of you are bad students? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> okay. How many of you waited to the last minute to study? Okay. All right, uh, where's Brother Lucian? I know he's here this morning. Uh, there he is. Yes, he's a professor. Brother Lucian, if I, if I wait to the last minute, is that the best way to study? No, it's not, right? You need to be ready. You know, if people knew exactly when Jesus is going to come, a lot of people are going to be tempted to what? Procrastinate, to wait until the very last minute to make things right with God. But with God, it's all about a relationship, friends. It's not just a legal arrangement. It's a relationship. And you can't really build a relationship in six minutes. Right? Amen. It's the work of a lifetime. And so God doesn't tell us. He wants us to be ready now today. So we can't pick dates, but we can get a sense that it's coming and it's very, very close. Now in verse 32, Jesus compares the signs of the times to a fig tree in springtime. Now I don't know if you've ever seen a fig tree. My grandparents used to have one in their yard. I like figs. Anybody here like figs? I love them. They're good. Well, when a fig tree, when the leaves come out on that tree, it means that summer is near. And Jesus says, just like on the fig tree, when you see the leaves come out, you know that summer is near in the same way. When the contractions get bigger and stronger, you know that Jesus is almost here. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the time is coming soon. And so today, we're going to look at the contractions. How big are they? Are we living just before the return of Christ. Now I want you to notice that Jesus gives us three general types of signs to watch for. Alright, so we're going to look at these. Number one, religious signs. Signs in the religious world. Number two, signs in the political world. And number three, signs in the natural world. So let's start with religious signs, shall we? We're going to look at stuff that Jesus told us to watch for in the religious world. Let's go to verse 5 of Matthew 24. For many will come in my name, Jesus said, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now I want you to notice again that word. What's the word? Deceive. How many people will be deceived by false Christs? Many. Jesus says it again in verse 24 of Matthew 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive. We're in verse 24 of Matthew 24. If possible, even the elect. There it is again. Deceive. It's one of the biggest themes in Bible prophecy. The warning is clear. We need to know where we stand. There is a moment coming when you won't even be able to trust the evidence of your senses. There will be signs and wonders, miracles even, miracles of healing, but in all the wrong places. 
And people will be deceived. And in that moment, friends, in the moment when even your senses betray you, you have to understand that just because somebody does something miraculous, just because someone heals the sick, just because even someone appears to raise the dead, that doesn't mean they come from God. Friends, if not unto this book, if they don't speak according to the words of this book, they are not of God. Be careful, Jesus says. In the last days, there's going to be a multiplication of false Christs. You know, over the centuries, there have been many false Christs. There have always been, you know, there's always been one or two crazy people who claim to be Jesus, right? But in recent decades, have you noticed it's become even more intense? Let's just look, and and this is just a quick survey of a few of them. There's many more examples, but I just want to review a few of them just in the last 50 or 60, well, 70 years or so. This is a man, Sung Sun Myung Moon, okay? 1950s, a Korean preacher. This Korean preacher started the Unification Church. You might have seen that he did, he did these mass weddings where he married thousands of people at the same time. Very, very interesting. It seems harmless, but then when you start to listen to his sermons, you realize that this Pastor Moon claimed to be the second coming of Christ. He claimed he was born to finish Jesus' unfinished work. He said, quote, He, that's God, is living in me, and I am the incarnation of himself. Friends, is that in harmony with the Bible? But thousands of people believed him, and they followed him. How about this one, Jim Jones? Do you remember this? This is a little while ago. People's Temple, he started in San Francisco, eventually moved to Guyana, Jonestown, Guyana. How many of you remember this? Just out of curiosity. Some of you may not remember it. Some time ago, the government went in to infl- to, wanted to go in and inspect what was going on. He talked his entire group of followers into drinking Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. There was only one lady in the final meeting, meeting, one brave lady who stood up and said, you know, this just doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem like something Jesus would do. She's the only one that survived. Hundreds died. And I'm telling you, they didn't need to. If only they had listened to Jesus' warning. Let's move to the 1990s. Now, this is something that I know strikes close to home here in Texas. Just a few weeks ago, I was driving close, close not too far. Well, I don't know how far it is from here exactly, but through Waco. And you remember a gentleman by the name of Vernon Howell changed his name to David Koresh. Why did he do that? He picked the word, he picked the name David after King David in the Bible and he picked the name Koresh because it's another way of saying Cyrus, the Persian general, as you remember we talked about last night, who liberated the children of Israel from the Babylonian captivity. But he believed that he was another coming of Christ. In fact, he said he was a quote, sinful Christ. The first time Jesus came, he said he had to be pure and sinless, but now he, David Koresh, had come to live a sinful life. He had come to experience the depths of sin for everybody. Horrible. Married many young girls and terrible stuff. And of course, you know how that all ended. Dozens of people died, burned to death in that compound there in Waco, and they didn't have to because Jesus warned us, beware of false messiahs. Beware of false Christs. 
Another one, Marshall Applewhite, 1997. Police in San Diego discovered the body of 39 bodies of 39 people who had been listening to this guy. He literally told them there was a flying saucer behind the comet, Hail Bop. And he said, all you have to do is take your own life and then you will board the spacecraft. So they all went out for supper one last time. They went home and poisoned themselves, wrapping plastic bags around their heads to make sure they died. Friends, I know this is not fun, but this kind of stuff happens. And it happens when people fail to look to the Word of God. Jesus warned us there would be false Christs and false prophets. The list goes on and on. Over and over, more people that have claimed to be Jesus. You've got the order of the solar temple whose followers have killed people and committed mass suicide in the name of Christ. You've got, in 1999, you know, there was an interesting phenomenon. So many people were coming to Jerusalem who claimed to be Jesus or Elijah or John the Baptist that they actually named a new psychiatric disorder called Jerusalem Syndrome. Folks, there has always been one or two but right now, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of them just as Jesus predicted. And that's, that's bad enough because people are getting hurt. But the Bible doesn't just talk about false Christ in the last, last days. It also predicts religion gone bad. Listen to the words of Paul as he warns Timothy about the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. to In the last days, what kind of times, everyone? perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now this is a passage we'll come back to on another night. But look at this carefully. Let me ask you, is this true of our world tonight, today? Just a few years ago, the Barna Group asked North American Christians a number of very important questions. The kind of questions that nobody would have gotten wrong just a generation ago. Now this is really interesting. They gave a few simple statements and asked people if they agreed or disagreed with these statements. Question number one. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who rules the world today. 78% of church-growing Christians said yes. Now that's pretty good, but these are self-professing Christians. That should have been 100%, right? All right. Question two. Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. Friends, look how many people agreed with that statement. 59% agreed or agreed strongly. That means only 41% of self-described Christians actually believe that there is a real being called the devil. Now, does that agree with the Word of God? That means that people aren't reading the Word of God. Question three, and this one really, this one really breaks my heart. Jesus sinned while living on earth. 30, now remember, again, these are Christians and the Bible is absolutely clear that Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that Jesus knew no sin. But 39% of Christians agreed with this statement. They couldn't bring themselves to say that. 
Question four, the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but is not a living entity. 58% of Christians agreed with that statement. 58% are no longer clear about the triune nature of God, even though Christians have been absolutely consistent on this point for over 2,000 years. Folks, the world has changed. The world has changed. Paul predicted a day when people would profess godliness, when they would go through the motions, when they would still call themselves Christians. And how many people just go through the motions of going to church, but they don't really act like followers of Christ? They would deny the power behind the faith. And you've got to wonder, if this isn't it, what is? Let's keep moving. Now those were signs in the which kind of world? That was the religious signs, right? The religious world. Now let's go to the signs, the contractions in the political world. Remember what Jesus said in verse 6 of Matthew 24. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, friends, we've always had war throughout human history, and it is tragic. It's a tragic part of the human condition. But Jesus predicted a dramatic increase just before he comes. So I wonder, is that part of our world today, friends? Did you realize that we lost more than 200 million people to warfare in the 20th century alone? That's more than all previous centuries combined. And of course, we've always had war. But in the last century, we got really good at it. We used to, they used to, you know how they used to do war back in the old days? They would line up one line here in bright colored clothing, another line here, and they would shoot at each other. And if, if, if you were going to kill somebody in hand-to-hand combat, you had to look them in the eyes. But today, today, in the 20th century, trench warfare, airplanes, the atom bomb, all the types of weaponry that's been developed. And then comes the 21st century with drones and airplanes and all the things. Friends, it's impersonal, it's efficient, and it's deadly. You know, back in the 1800s, there was a godless philosopher by the name of Nietzsche declaring that God was dead. But then he said that if the human race accepted that, if they chose to believe that God was dead, the 20th century would be the bloodiest century of all. And sadly, you know what? He was right. It was the bloodiest century of all. Do you know, I just checked, just looked at it again this morning on Wikipedia. There are 47 major armed conflicts happening right now around the world. Not one, not two, but 47. Now, I don't need to elaborate here, but this, a picture in the war-torn nation of Afghanistan. Over 41,000 have died just this year in Afghanistan, civilians, and Afghan military, and of course, American military personnel. Since September 11, 2001, Over 7,052 U.S. service members have died in different wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Friends, do you know that right now every one of the U.N.'s 193 member nations is party to a territorial trade or other international dispute? Every single one. Tonight there are eight countries that we know of that have nuclear weapons 
or enough warheads to kill off the human race 50 times over in less than an hour. And it would only take 30 minutes to do it. And what about the tensions in the Middle East, always flaring up again and again? Iran, ISIS, Russia, North Korea, all wanting to come back to power. We've got dictators in South America. Let me ask you, what would it take to start World War III? Does it ever seem like we're just on the brink of war? How much would it take for the pot to boil over? Every generation has been absolutely certain that they would end wars and bring in world peace, and every generation has been wrong. But no generation has been more wrong than ours. How much would it take? How much would it take to bring on the next worldwide financial meltdown? Don't think it's going to happen. Look at the words of the Bible. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Come now, you rich, and weep, and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Now, how many of you remember the recession of 2008? You guys still with me? You guys still awake? Amen. How many of you remember the recession of 2008? How many of you were hurt by that? You don't have to raise your hand. I know, I know our family was. How many of you remember the Great Depression? No one's, not, not many of you probably remember that. <laughs> You're too young for that. <laughs> These are terrible things, friends, but do you know, we might think, like Nebuchadnezzar, that we have built an empire that will last forever, but the Bible says it won't. As hard as we try, human kingdoms are going to fall apart. But friends, that's not all. Jesus also gave us signs to watch for in the natural world. Jesus said in verse 7 of Matthew 24, And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now notice that there are three things Jesus tells us to watch for. What are they, friends? Famines, pestilences, and... So let's start with the top of the list. We're just going to take it one by one with famines, all right? Right now, there are millions and millions of people facing food shortages in sub-Saharan Africa. In one region alone, there are more than 28 million who don't have enough food. That's almost the entire population of the state of California. 28 million people. Friends, even though there is more than enough food for everybody on the planet, a child dies of starvation every six seconds. Now, if that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what will. I don't know if you've been to some of these countries. I've been to Africa, I've been to India. And when you see these kids just emaciated and they're asking for something to eat, it breaks your heart. In Somalia alone, there are three million people living on food aid and there are more than a million living in tent cities. More than one billion people on this planet, there are more than one billion people whose diets are so impoverished that they might be getting a few calories, but they aren't actually being fed. 80% of the children who are born will be born into families who can't afford to feed them. Are we blessed living in this country or what? But friends, you know, even though we have more wealth than in any previous generation, you and I, there's more people going hungry. And when you turn to Matthew chapter 25, you see that Jesus takes this very seriously. 
There comes a moment when he asks us why we didn't feed the little ones. Why didn't you feed me? Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When you saw these starving people, that's when. It's one more sign, friends, that the contractions are getting bigger and Jesus is just about to come. Now, I would encourage you, friends, we need to do all we can to help the suffering people of this world while we're here. Amen? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Jesus calls us to do that. But it's also a reminder. This is one of the signs that Jesus said that points to the soon coming of Christ. What is the next thing that he mentions in that verse? Famines and pestilences. Now, I don't know if I had said, if I had preached this sermon two years ago, it might have been a little different. We would have talked about, you know, Ebola, or we might have talked about meningitis or hepatitis A. These are all bad things, right? Terrible things. Who could have ever imagined a pestilence on the scale of what we have gone through in the last year and a half? And if there is ever a birth pang that tells us that we are getting close to the soon coming of Christ, I believe you and I have just experienced it. Even in the United States, 659,000 people since March of 2020 have lost their lives to COVID-19. I, I mentioned to you last night that I'm sure almost every one of us has known someone that has been deeply affected by this disease, someone that has died. Even a few weeks ago, a friend of mine passed away from this terrible disease. And it's terrible. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And as you look around, you see all over the world, as you saw the images from India, I don't know if you remember them, lying out at least, you know, I know here in Texas they were running out of ICU beds, but in India, literally, they, couldn't even, they didn't even have hospitals to bring them into. They were running out of oxygen. The people were literally dying on the streets. Worldwide, there have been over 219 million cases, probably more, this is probably underreported, with over four and a half million deaths through this pandemic. My friends, surely this is a sign that Christ is coming soon. Pestilences, Jesus told us that these would happen and many, as I said last night, many people look at the suffering and they look at these things and it leads them to ask, well, is there a God? Does he care? Friends, I would submit to you that yes, there is a God and yes, he cares. Jesus cared. He wanted us to know that these would happen. He wanted us to know that these signs would appear, but they are simply birth pangs pointing to the fact that he is coming soon. We live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. And there aren't always easy answers, but friends, as you come to this series, I hope that you will find hope in the Word of God. Hope that even though these signs are terrible, even though we live in a broken world, a world full of death and destruction, that we can have hope as we trust in Christ. Hope in His soon return. And by the way, as we look to the coming years, we know COVID-19 will probably not be the last pandemic. There will probably be other stuff that will come. We have seen so many different types of pestilences over the last several years. And, you know, it's only by God's grace that we haven't been hit harder. But friends, all these things are simply signs. 
as Jesus said, pestilences would be one of the things that is a birth pang. It is a contraction. It, is a, it tells us that someday soon, Christ is coming. We've lived through all these things. You see on the screen, plague, Ebola, tuberculosis, the first SARS, West Nile virus, mad, you just, the list goes on and on. But these are all signs that tell us Christ is soon to come. Hospital deaths due to infection from drug-resistant bacteria have increased sevenfold in the past 15 years. So friends, is there pestilence? Absolutely. Is there other signs in nature? Absolutely. We haven't even talked. We, have, we talked some last night about fires and floods and all these things, weird crop diseases, bees are dying, all this stuff that's happening. It's a different world than it used to be, exactly as Jesus predicted. Now how about Jesus, he mentioned specifically earthquakes, remember that? He said famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now, earthquakes can be kind of a contentious subject because different people read the data in different ways. But no matter how you define a serious earthquake, if you go back 2,000 years, you're going to find a very interesting pattern. Now someone went to a geological library a few years ago and started to make a list of the really big earthquakes magnitude 7 or higher, the kind that knocked down houses and caused a lot of people to die. And here's what they found. In the first 300 years after Christ, there was one. In the next 200 years, there were two. So there was a small uptick. Okay, one, and then two in the next 300 years. 200 years, rather. For the next 300 years, there was one. Just one in 300 years. From the year 800 to the year 1000, there were three. From 1,000 to 1,100, there were two. In the 1,100s, there were another two. So you can see the pattern is fairly steady, right? You can see the pattern is fairly steady. Sometimes one or two per century, sometimes less. Then we come to the 1,200s. There was one. The same was true in the 1,300s, just one. In the 1,400s, one, right? 1,500s, two. Then something very interesting happens. In the 1,600s, there were certainly, suddenly rather, seven. Now I know some people will say, well, the reason there seem to be more is because we've invented the, you might know, seismograph. And now we see more of them, but remember, these are only the big ones, the big earthquakes, the kinds that really knock down a lot of buildings and kill a lot of people. And you don't need a seismograph to know when that happens. Besides, we, <laughs> there were no seismographs in 1600. But in the 1700s, that number nearly doubles to 13. and the 1800s, it doubles again to 26. And then in the 1900s, I want you to look at this, 130. Friends, and then comes the 21st century, where the earthquakes never seem to stop coming. In 2004, we had what may be the biggest earthquake in recorded history. It was an unbelievable 9.3 magnitude and became the first earthquake to be recorded in every device on the planet. It created a gash in the seabed over 800 miles, was over 10 minutes long. And by the end, the tsunami, as you remember, over a quarter million people died. And there have been hundreds of tsunamis since 1900, but the 2004 one caused more devastation than all the previous ones combined. And then, of course, the big earthquake in Haiti. And just recently, we had another earthquake in Haiti, as I mentioned last night. 
You remember the scary one in Japan that flooded the Fukushima nuclear plant? Friends, there's no question this kind of thing has always happened in the past, but are we seeing an increase in these things, yes or no? Are we seeing an increase in the contractions? Friends, let me ask you a question. How big are the contractions? What time is it? What time is it? Friends, I can't speak today without referencing something very, very important. Some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Kyle, you've kind of forgot what today is. No, I didn't forget. I just put it here at the end. 20 years ago this morning, I don't know where you were. You probably, my guess is, if you're at least as old as me, you know where you were. I can tell you where I was. I was at the Village Market in Collegedale, Tennessee. I worked as a stock boy putting groceries on the shelf. I was attending Southern Adventist University. And I remember I was standing in the aisle. And, and I'm, I actually love aviation. I love planes. I'm not a pilot, but I love planes. And one of my friends came up to me and said, Kyle, they rushed up to me as I was putting the, I remember putting the groceries. It was 8 something in the morning. And they said, Kyle, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. And I said, oh, that's terrible. Like, what, what was it? Uh, like a Cessna? Something like, like, was it just off course? And they said, no, it was a 767. And when she said that, I knew that we were not in a normal situation. And I remember asking quick, because I used to work for a radio station, WSMC, and we had a, a live news program. And so as soon as I could, I left the village market and I ran to the radio station. And right as I got there, our little TV in the corner of the studio was tuned to the broadcast, and we watched the second tower fall. And you probably remember where you were. You probably remember the anguish of that moment on that day, 20 years ago today. And all that has happened since that time. I'm just going to share a couple of pictures that I found just remembering that day and the, the horror of that day, the scariness of that day. Just a few months before, in April of 2001, I had gone with our senior class on a class trip to New York, and we stood on the top of the World Trade Center and took a picture of our class. I remember, just to this day, clearly what it looked like in the foyer of the World Trade Center. I remember what it looked like on the top. And to stand there on 9-11 and watch that little TV set and to watch those buildings fall, I'll never forget it. And as you all know, it was a moment when our world changed forever. I love this one picture of the Statue of Liberty standing bright, even in the midst of the destruction. And of course, not just New York, but the Pentagon and Flight 93 in Pennsylvania. And friends, while the terror and the sadness of that day was overwhelming and still remains with us to this day, do you know that since that time, since the terrorist attacks of 9-11 and the wars that have followed that, do you know that, we, of course, we went to war in Afghanistan. That war cost over a billion dollars a month, but more than that, thousands and thousands of civilians and, and servicemen lost their lives. In the wake of the terror attacks of September 11, 2001, around the world, over 387,000 civilians have died in conflicts 
resulting from the war on terror. Over 7,000 U.S. service members have died in the war since 9-11, including 2,324 in Afghanistan alone. Friends, I know that was 20 years ago, but is it not a reminder that we are living in the close of time? That the birth pangs are getting stronger and stronger. We are living just before the return of Jesus Christ. It's not only in the Middle East, North Korea, Iraq. These are just a few Time Magazine covers that tell us, that tell us again how close we are, the birth pangs that are increasing, increasing in frequency and strength. The power grid, the tsunami, the hurricanes. You remember what happened in 2005? They, there were so many hurricanes that they ran out of names for the hurricanes. You remember that? Of course, you remember Katrina and Rita. And here in Houston, Hurricane Harvey a few years later, a few years ago. Friends, so many threats, nuclear threats, Syria, Iran, an economic collapse, Haiti, oil spills, revolution, tsunamis, the list goes on. Syrian civil war, tuberculosis, bees, typhoons, Ebola, and of course, as we know, shootings, disasters, and now COVID-19. Friends, we are living in the close of time. These are all reminders. These are all reminders that the words of Jesus are coming true in our lifetimes. The birth pangs are getting more frequent and more intense. Let me ask you a question again. What time is it? Jesus is coming. The birth pangs are getting stronger. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. But friends, do you know there is one more sign that Jesus says that precedes His coming? Some of you say, Pastor Kyle, I don't want to hear another sign. These are, this is bad news. I don't want to hear about another sign. Do you know what? There is one more sign. But this sign is a good sign. What kind of sign is it? It's a good sign. He gives us one more sign. Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a what? Witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Do you know that right now this is actually happening? Do you know, friends, in the year 1800, the Bible was only in 70 languages translated. Only in 70 languages. A century later, 100 million copies had been printed, and today you can get the Bible in more than 2,200 languages, and more are being translated every day. Right now, Christianity in Africa is growing 65% faster than the population. Right now, Christianity in South America is growing four times faster than the population. And it's growing by hundreds of thousands of people a year in India. Right now, there are probably over 100 million Christians in communist China. You're not allowed to have a private church. You can't just meet in homes to worship. They'll bulldoze your house, but they are there. You can't stop the gospel. No government on earth has ever been able to stop the unmatchable love of Christ. And just like Jesus predicted, the gospel is reaching the furthermost parts of the globe, right on schedule, right on time for Jesus to come. 
But of course you ask, why all that devastation? Why does God allow it? Why does he let this planet fall apart? Think about it, friends. God didn't ruin this planet, we did. What we're seeing all around us is the consequence of a planet untethered from the Creator. And that's why God has promised a new world, a new kingdom, one that will last forever. And I believe He's letting this one fall apart because we need to stop let putting our hopes in this world. Friends, I know life is painful. I know the planet isn't the only thing that's falling apart. Things are going wrong in your life too. There's probably people here with problems today. The people you could count on, they may have let you down. The money you thought you'd have for the future, maybe it's gone. Maybe it will never be enough. Maybe right now you're struggling in your marriage, or maybe you've lost your job, or your health is starting to fail. Maybe you know what it means to lose these things. I want you to listen carefully to the words of Jesus. And I'm just going to go, if we could click through to John chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take away from you. The birth pangs aren't going to last forever. God makes the promise. When Jesus comes again, it's like the birth of a child. You're going to forget the pain, right? Those of you women who went through childbirth, you know what it's like. You went through all that pain, but in the end, you had your baby and oh, the joy, right? Amen? Was that a joyful time? So the same when we get through the trials of these last days and Jesus comes someday when that kingdom, that rock that we saw in Daniel chapter 2, destroys the kingdoms of this world and Christ steps up his kingdom, we're going to be with him forever. And there's going to be no more suffering or sorrow or pain. Human governments will be done away. We will be with Jesus forever. Because the kingdom of Jesus never passes away, no one is going to take that joy away from you. Friends, my question to you today is, are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready? You know, there's another story I'll just tell you as we close. Speaking of the gospel going around the world, I work for Adventist World Radio, and some of you know that we have over a thousand radio stations around the world in very difficult places. Places where you wouldn't expect the gospel to reach. Well, let me just tell you very quickly, there's a place in the country of the Philippines, on the island of Mindoro, in the mountains where communist rebels live. These rebels have been at war with the government for over 40 years. But just a couple of years ago, we were broadcasting the gospel there in the mountains of Mindoro. And these communist rebels who are hardened criminals who have AK-47s with them all the time, as they began to listen to the broadcasts, the messages from the Word of God, their hearts were melted. Their lives were changed. And these communist rebels, one by one, began to come out of the mountains and surrender their guns and pick up the Bible. And today, <laughs> there's a lot more I could share but today, by God's grace, friends, on the island of Mindoro, 
almost 500 of those communist rebels have been baptized. Amen? Including the five top generals of the communist rebels. And here's the amazing thing. The Philippine government told us at Adventist World Radio, they said, you know what? Your broadcasts have made such a difference for these people. They're coming and they're integrating in society. We want to work with you. So we said, okay, for each family that comes out of the mountains and wants to lay down their weapons and wants to become a peaceful family again, they want to, to be a, a part of our church and they want to be a part of society again, we're going to give them $500 to restart their life. And the government said, you know what, we're going to help you with that. We're going to give them each one acre of land so they can have a place to live. And these, <laughs> these rebels came out of the mountains and they came into churches and they gave their hearts to Christ and soldiers and rebels who were once enemies embraced each other in tears and crying and they signed a peace accord and just in a month from now, in no a little over a month, in November of this year, the top general of the rebels and the top general of the Philippine army are both going to be baptized together. Amen. My friends, the gospel changes hearts. The gospel is going to all the world. We see the birth pangs. We see the signs in our world. Most importantly, we see that the gospel is going to even the hardest places on earth. My question today is, what about you? Do you want to say today, Lord Jesus, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for that day when you come. I want to be aware of the signs that are happening so that I am ready for that glorious day. The Bible says that God is holding back just a little longer because someone still needs to come home. Somebody here needs to know Jesus. Somebody here needs the peace of mind knowing that no matter what happens, no matter if COVID hits your family or if something happens, you're still going to be okay because God has not forgotten you. What time is it, friends? What time is it? It is almost time for Jesus to come. I want to ask you if you want to prepare if you want to be prepared, if you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be ready to meet you when you come. I want to ask you if you just stand with me right where you are. If you want to say, Lord, I want to be ready to meet you when you come. Just stand with me where you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we are living on borrowed time. Everything, everything that Jesus said would happen is already happening right now. But Lord, we thank you today that it's not all bad news, not really. No, Lord, at the end of these birth pangs, you are coming. And you're going to turn back all the pain and the suffering. Lord, we want to be ready for your coming. We don't want to let anything stand in the way. Father, there's someone here today who is struggling, someone here today who needs hope. I pray that you would grant that to them. And help each one of us, no matter what we're struggling with today, help us to make the decision that we want to be ready to meet you when you come. Today, Lord, we are saying that we believe you. We trust you with our future. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen.